Heavenly Father, what an honor it is, Lord, to be able to open your word, to be able to place our minds in its place, and to be able to hear what you call us to. God, may your spirit speak into our lives and may our lives be transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation is no ordinary book, right? It is way, way, way better than anything you've ever read. And I'm kind of giddy with a little bit of joy when it comes to this book. It's a beautiful, poetic book when it comes to a description of who Jesus is. But as I shared last week, and if you haven't had time, then go back and listen to the message, then please do. I have a few instructions as to how we understand this book, and, and I'm going to go over these. And I tried to do this last week, but, uh, but it was a bit awkward, and so I'm going to try and do it this week, but with some clearer instructions. So here it goes. I will state the sentence, all right? Uh, you will then see the sentence on the screen. This is magic. And then we will repeat the sentence together. You got the sequence? Very complicated. I will state the sentence. You will, you, you will see the sentence, and then we will repeat it together. All right, here it goes. I will pace myself. Now you're going to see it, and then we're going to repeat it together. I will pace myself. This is good. All right, all right. This is how it goes. We were going to resist the urge to know everything there is in Revelation instantly, okay? Number two. I will enjoy the journey. Now you're going to see it. I will enjoy the journey. It's true. The book of Revelation, it's about Jesus. It's from Jesus. It's going to show us the full character of God, the Holy Spirit, the Father, Jesus. It's going to be good. We're going to enjoy this. This was true then, and it is true now. Now you see it. This was true then, and it is true now. It meant something back then, and it means something back now. Everything we read is in symbolic form and it's in code, and it means a lot back then, and if you understood the First Testament, some people call it the Old Testament, not a really nice title, really. I prefer the First Testament. It really helps you to understand the book of Revelation. If John was standing on the top of Long's Peak, right, and he were to describe heaven, he would say that heaven is full of grass and rivers and had cell phone coverage, all right? Now, I've never been to the top of Long's Peak, but allegedly, that's what you would really want up there. If John was driving down 36, coming into Boulder, right, and he were to describe heaven, he would say it was like the Flatirons, and the sun was glistening on it, and the rocks were red, and it was just glowing, and you felt like you were in the presence of God. It means nothing to somebody in downtown Israel, right? But to us, it would mean something. So context, context is very important. Each of these churches had lessons, and we lean to learn how to apply them to, to our church. Tuesday evening, at our vision board last Tuesday, we had to process all of these lessons as we listened very carefully to the radical call of Jesus. What does it mean to us at Boulder Church? And we got some ideas, 
And I really appreciated what you guys filled in on your Connect cards. In fact, I want to encourage you to use these Connect cards. These are all in front of you. Um, they're new, they're brand new, they've been placed aside there, they're going to be there every week. You can, uh, they're perforated, you can just tear them off, you can fill these in and you can place them in, in our offering altars all around here. But these Connect cards, you can react to the message, you can share any ideas about this kind of stuff inside there, but these Connect cards had good responses and we're going to use these ideas on Tuesday night at our Elders Vision Board coming up right now this week. What did we learn though about Jesus last week? We learned this. As the churches fail over time, Jesus increases more. So repeat this with me. As the churches fail over time, Jesus increases more. So this week, though, we get to dive in way, way deeper, right? And I was trying to think. I was trying to think of a metaphor. I was trying to think of an illustration, something that would tie in last week, which was all about the seven churches, something that would tie in this week, which is all about the seven seals, and something that would tie in this next week, which is all about the seven trumpets. And I'm on this uh, gluten-free kick right now. Oh. So I was thinking the best illustration, the best illustration that I could come up with was a three-layered strawberry cream cake. Yeah. Yeah, that's the best illustration that I could come up with. And this cake, all right, now you gotta picture this with me. This cake, it's, it's got seven slices, all right? So can you see this cake? You, you're with me? You, you, you have this cream cake, it's got seven slices. Each slice represents a different era of time. The first slice, it represents zero to 100 AD. The second slice, takes place, you know, for the first couple of centuries after that to the third century. The third slice takes us up to the fifth century, and the fourth slice continues all the way through to the final slice, which is us until Jesus comes back, right? Are you with me? You see this cake? You see the time? Huh? Well, this is the cake, and I, and I want you to just now, I want you now just to take one of these slices out. Yeah, okay? and this slice out, and now I want you to visualize this one slice. Oh, that's beautiful, isn't it? Oh, all that wheat. I could stare at her for ages. One day, one day, I'm gonna prove the gluten thing is not needed. Now, Let's leave this up here for a second because this is going to help you understand last week, this week, and next week, all right? The bottom layer, the bottom layer is sponge. Now, sponge is a good word, and, and, and I think sponge means cake to you, but in English, it's really cake, all right? So sponge is the seven churches, and Jesus had a, rad a radical call for this church, and he says, you need to proclaim the gospel against all odds. And as they grow weaker, Jesus makes that sponge stronger. He just made that sponge durable, ever so beautiful. It's just like the best royal sponge you could ever eat, right? That's the church, that's layer one. Layer two is Cornish cream. All right? Now, Cornish cream is not like white like that. It's kind of like a, a yellowish cream. It's really good. If you've ever had Cornish cream, it's just delightful. And it's, and it's actually, it's got all these strawberries, fresh strawberries inside it, so it's actually sealed in that. See how I played with that word? 
because it's the seals, right? So the sealed, the scream is sealed, all the strawberries inside there because these are faithful people. They're Christians. They're faithful, and they've made a radical choice to stay faithful to Jesus. And there are heavy consequences, because cream, if it's good, it's very heavy. I like this, don't you? I think it's pretty good. And uh, this illustration has many levels. Um, it's level two. And so the, it's, it's complicated, and they are in there, and they proclaim the gospel against all sorts of odds. But Jesus says, you stay faithful, and I will protect you against all odds. That's level two. Level three, level three, this actually has uh, uh, icing on top. Now, this is, not, this is not marzipan. Marzipan is that disgusting almond mix that people make. It's just horrible. If anybody likes marzipan, be gone. Get behind me. You know, I mean, just, it's evil, right? No, this is, this is made out of butter and sugar. It's the stuff that causes a heart attack instantly, which is just like the trumpets, right? Ta-da! Instant heart attack, right? And the trumpets are supposed to be a warning. Something major is taking place. It's to the community to tell you something amazing has taken place. You need to make a huge change in your life because this is the final warning before the end of the world takes place. And that's the cake. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus is saying, as you pull one of these slices out, Every era has a different issue every single time. Layer one, the church, the community, the, the Christians and the community, each one, they face a different problem. And Jesus is saying, for the church, for the seals, for the trumpet, I have a solution for each of you. But you face something different, and I'm going to help you with that. So question number one, if you turn inside your worship guide, question number one is this. What have you discovered in the Bible that has caused or affirmed your radical choice? In this slice, right? What have you discovered in the Bible that has caused or affirmed your radical choice? For me, for me, you may, and you may want to write some of these down because I think these are phenomenal ones, and these are great texts, right? Uh, when Danny was telling us a children's story and she was sharing with us kids' life, and she was saying, when you taste Jesus, when you understand him, when you, when you have these experiences, you want to share them with someone else. When you have them, you know them. Well, it's the same with me. When I have these stories, you can share them with someone else. Well, these are great examples. So these are great stories that I want you to remember. These are texts. Genesis 3, 1 Samuel 14, 1 Kings 19, Daniel 9. Did you write them down? Genesis 3, 1 Samuel 14, 1 Kings 19, Daniel 9, great stories. Each one of these, you read these, you understand these. These are powerful ones. These ones here, when I read these, I discover them. They reaffirm my choice to follow Jesus Christ. And Revelation 5, just to name but a few, when we're going to look at Revelation 5 today, when you discover what these say, they affect everything. Now, I want to give you kind of the big picture here because I think it's very important to understand the big picture in order to understand what these texts mean. For thousands of years, Satan has been running this planet, and he has been messing the universe up, right? He has been destroying the character of God. And by destroying, I mean he has been running the most hateful political campaign that you could ever imagine, and it has been involving life and death. And the Trinity knew about this, 
And this had been going on, and they knew about this from the very beginning, and they made a radical choice. This radical choice was the plan of salvation. Now, I have no evidence for what I'm about to say, so I, I, I preface this by saying I have no evidence for this. This is uh, not typical sermon material. Usually, preachers don't share this kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm just going to say it to you. And, uh, and I'm good that it's recorded. It's live stream. It's kind of awkward. Tim, you know, you could podcast about this sometime. You know, just saying. I'm going to put it out there because it's just my hunch. And I think it's kind of a good hunch. But I'm just going to say it out there. And I just want to let you know that I have no evidence for this. I personally believe that Satan had a beef with Jesus. All right? That's why it's not the Father and it's not the Spirit, but it's Jesus who came down here. And he's the one who came down here and reset the character of God, reset the story about the character of God to say, no, I will tell you who the Father, the Spirit, and the Son are. And I will declare this through the kingdom of God, preaching the good news, and the world will not be the same. And something big did happen, and the motion did take place. And we get to see this because you read about it. You see the Gospels, you see the cross, and you see Pentecost, but something changed. The language in the Second Testament changed. We changed. We saw something happen. The kingdom of God is much larger. We are not the kingdom of God. We're just part of it. Come January, here at this church, we're going to go through the whole book of Acts. I'm going to preach through a whole series of this but we will be talking about what the kingdom of God is. So Jesus has a radical call for the kingdom of God. And he does it through, imagine that slice, he does it through the church, he does it through the Christians, and he does it through the community. It takes the whole cake. And Satan is attacking all three areas. And heaven is responding to all three areas. So today, we face a radical choice to follow Jesus or to follow Satan. And there is no middle ground. Now, I'm going to leave you in that uncomfortable place for a while because I know there are some people, and I want you just to hang in there with me. I don't want you to leave. I don't want to walk out or anything like this because I just need you to hear as we go through this process, some people are saying, well, well hang on a second. Satan and Jesus, I know, I know some people who are not following Satan, but they're not following Jesus. There's got to be some kind of middle territory here, right? There's got to be some kind of middle place inside. So let's wrestle through this. Well, let's wrestle through this by going through the Bible. So chapter 4 of Revelation. There's a major transition that Patty read for us so beautifully. It's a major transition from earth to heaven. And this is just a, a, a snapshot, an Instagram, if you so please. It's no particular time zone. It's just setting the scene. It's the throne room. It's symbolic. Don't get hang up, hung up on, is this real or is it not? Is the, is the seat comfortable? Does God have a, a cushion on that gold throne? Uh, you know, is it really wide, that wide? Stay focused on the intent of chapter four as Patty read it so beautifully to us. And what is the intent? Oh, that's all it is. You read chapter four and you're supposed to go like, wow, oh, that is the throne room. Oh, you have God the Father, you have the Holy Spirit. There's a throne, it's wide, it just seems like everyone could sit in there. You have 
24 elders, symbols of all the people of the world, first and second testament. I wish I could break it down for you now, but you can read the daily walk and it'll explain some of that for you. You have these four different animals representing, according to Jewish tradition, every animal in the kingdom. And, and then they sing, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will, and as some translations say, which is really beautiful, for by your desire or by your pleasure, they were existed and they were created. Oh, yes, you are in awe. And you should have also noticed, or maybe you could have deduced one thing. Who's missing? Jesus, right? You got the Father, and you have the Spirit, and you have the angels and the 24 elders, you have the humans, you have the animals, you have everybody singing, and there's no Jesus. Now, so, so watch, and this is important. There's a translation thing here inside here. So turn with me to Revelation chapter five. Now, if you don't have your Bibles, then you can take out a pew Bible, Revelation chapter five. It's page 1131 in your pew Bibles. Revelation chapter five, verses one to four. Page 1131. Last book in the Bible. I'm gonna give you a second just to look it up. The reason why I want you to read this in your Bible, in your translation, is because this is the kind of text that you need to like take a pen and write inside here and just underline it. This is the kind of text that you need to read for yourself. It's the kind of text that you need to own for yourself. So here it is, Revelation chapter five, verse one. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on a throne, a scroll written within it, and on the back a seal with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Well, here's the thing that I want you to note here. The translation says it was in his hand. The, trans the text doesn't say that. The text actually says that the scroll was just sitting on the right side of authority, on the right side of God. It wasn't in his hand. It was just on the right side of him. It was there waiting to be picked up just waiting for somebody to be grabbed. And this scroll was written on both sides. And the only other time that you ever hear of a scroll written on both sides is the Ten Commandments. It's the vision in Ezekiel chapter two because the scroll represents the covenant, right? And this is important and you'll need to remember this. It'll be really important later on as we get through Revelation. Just a little side note aside here. When they talk about a scroll and they talk about having a seal, uh, the, you actually don't know the content of the scroll until it's actually all opened up. So each of those seals, the seven seals means that it's perfectly sealed. So you break a seal, you don't actually know what it says. You have to break all seven seals and then you can read the scroll. And the fact that it had all seven means that it was perfectly sealed. So it's beautiful. Then you start to wonder to yourself, why is John weeping? Why is he weeping so much about this? What is going on? And you only understand 
when you look back and you understand what is going on for the first time, because they would have been weeping in those days as well. They would have understood immediately. If they were listening to this text right then, they would have understood immediately why they were weeping. They would have said, this is horrible. This is terrible. They would have said to John, why is nobody opening the scroll? And here's the context. When Saul was made king, he was given a scroll, right? And we believe that the scroll that he was given was the book, the law of Deuteronomy. It was the law. And as he was given the scroll and he would read this scroll, he would then become king. Authority was given to him, right? So he was king, which is great. But then Saul wasn't very good at king, and, and so he eventually was moved aside, and King David became king, and King David was a much better king. Even though he messed up, he was faithful to God. And the, the reality was that every time a king became king, he was given a scroll, and as he read the scroll, he asserted the power. The scroll became the symbol of authority. It was that they were following the law of God. The line was established that it would be the line of David, so the kings, as we know from history, we followed this, uh, the kings went up and the kings went down and they did, some of them followed and some didn't. The scroll, though, was sometimes followed and the scroll was sometimes not followed. Sometimes the scroll was hidden. Sometimes it was buried. Sometimes it was thrown away. Sometimes they were like excavating and they're like, oh, here's the scroll. But the scroll always represented the authority of God. When the kings had the scroll on their hand, then they had the authority of God. By the end of the days of all the kings, Isaiah records this in Isaiah chapter 8 and reports this in Isaiah 29, that the scroll was sealed. And by sealing means the scroll was sealed, it meant they no longer understood the will of God. So they locked away, they looked away, they looked away, and they, they said, now we're looking for a Messiah who was able to grab hold of the king. Who would be able to take the scroll and lead again? See this? So this is why Revelation 5 affirms for them the radical call to follow Jesus. Because in chapter 5, they're saying, who is worthy to take hold of the scroll? Who will be able to restore them? Who is this king, the Messiah, who can then take the scroll on the side of God and lead them again? Because it has been sealed for so long. Chapter 5 says this, verse 6. Verse 5, now one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? The root of David, this is the one has conquered, where did you remember this word? Revelation chapter three last week, so that they, he can open the scroll and its seven seals, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits that God sent into all the earth. In that moment, Jesus grabs hold of this and he takes the authority at that point. Now, you're kinda like, all right, great, whoopee doo. Jesus grabbed hold of it. It's significant. Let me tell you why. Jesus knew he was supposed to do this. And Jesus actually foretold all of this. Paul understood this. And I need you to see the text because it's, it's kind of unbelievable until you actually read this. So I need you to turn with me to John chapter 12. It's on page 996 in your Bible. John chapter 12. Um, and just watch this. This is fantastic. John chapter 12, verse 30. See, until that day, 
Jairus's daughter had been uh, resurrected, and they felt, oh, that was unreal as a resurrection because uh, with Jairus's daughter, she was just in a coma, so I don't really believe it. But then with Lazarus, Jesus, when he resurrected Lazarus, Lazarus had been dead for three days. They were like, oh, that's a real resurrection. And Jesus knew that when he resurrected Lazarus, the revolution was about to begin. Then they wanted to kill him, right? So this was pretty serious. And they were just like, no, this is great. Then they had the triumphal entry. They were laying down palm leaves, saying, hallelujah, praise you, Jesus. He's riding on a donkey. This is our Messiah. This is all great. Jesus is like, no, this is not a good sign. This is, this is all going to come to fruition. And they're like, no, this is great. And Jesus understands everything is going according to plan. So the Father gives him a good word. And this happens in John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12, verse 13, uh, the Father speaks to him, it thunders down. And it says there in verse 30 Jesus, uh, that he had said to him that he blesses him, right? And what Jesus says as a response to this, he says this, Jesus answers, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. And then he says this, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Do you get this? He's talking about Satan. He's saying, Satan, he's going to cast him out. He understands what he's about to do. When he goes to the cross, when he resurrects, when he goes to heaven, he is going to cast Satan out because he understands that Satan has grabbed power on this planet. You see, when Satan came down and he took over from Adam and Eve, he took control of planet Earth, and when he went to Jesus in the desert and he said to Jesus, hey, you see this planet? If you just bow down to me and worship me, I'll give it to you. It's serious. He owned the planet. And Jesus says to him, it's coming. It's coming. I'm going to take this planet back from you. You wait and see. I see this happen. And Paul, the apostle Paul says, I know this is going to happen. I saw it happen. And he describes this in Ephesians. So turn with me to, with me to Ephesians chapter 1. as on page 1079. Page 1079. Ephesians chapter 1. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. The last couple of verses of Ephesians chapter 1. Page 1079. Paul shares this insight that he knew at the ascension, Jesus had become co-ruler of the universe with God again. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church, which is the body fullness of him who fulfills all things in him. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says to him, listen, I'm telling you, I know what happened here. Something amazing took place here. On the day of ascension, he went to heaven. He took hold of the scroll. Now, Paul says, look, the rebellion's still strong. While Jesus has become co-creator, co-ruler of the entire universe again after his ascension here, the rebellion is still strong here. What has happened is that Satan is no longer has access to heaven anymore. Amen? Right? And Satan no longer represents this planet anymore. Amen? But Satan is still rebellious on this planet. And Satan is still causing pain on this planet. And in two weeks' time, we will look at Revelation chapter 12, and you will see 
what he's doing on this planet. And you will see that we are being called to radical discipleship. But you've got to buckle your seatbelts for Revelation chapter 12 and onwards. Right now, we're still in Revelation chapter 5, which tells us this, that Jesus is telling us that Jesus is telling us as Christians, that Jesus is telling us as churches, that Jesus is saying that he took the scroll, and when he took the scroll, he sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and birthed the church. And this is critical because it is the power of the Holy Spirit that has the significant role in all the seals, nudging us to the radical choice every single day in our lives. Now I want you to just kind of grab this real quick here. The seven seals are broken down into four and three. And this is significant because when we get to the trumpets next week, you'll see they're broken down into four and three. And this is uncomfortable for some people, but I'm gonna just break this down real quick for you. Four and three. And the four, uh, three, are broken down because in the middle there's a little break, an interlude they call it, where you talk about 144,000 and the great multitude. So let me first settle any speculations, and I know you have some right away. When I was a teenager at school, and I went to an English school, obviously, because I was in England, and uh, we had a school uniform, and I, I went to school with a briefcase, or an attache case, a burgundy leather attache case, with gold latches on it, with uh, combination codes on both sides of that briefcase. And I had a three-lock combination on both sides, and yes, that code, as to be expected of anybody who ever studied the book of Revelation was, one, four, four, zero, zero, zero. Yes. Now that we've settled that, we can move to point number two. Number two, the number is symbolic. It does not be literal. It is just symbolic. It represents that the power of the Spirit has sealed a group who remain faithful to Jesus right to the end. And number three, the great multitude that cannot be counted and the 144,000 Ah, bless your mind, I know. I know, <laughs> kind of crazy. It's because, it's because they're from different perspectives. And if you need some help with that, give me six hours of your life and I will show you where it is in the text. Right, now, let's get on. As for the seals, each one of them has a major push by God to the Christians, and this is heavy, to take the gospel seriously. I know we like to say we follow Jesus, but you gotta take it seriously. <laughs> so it starts off with these four horsemen. And uh, these are symbols that are taken from the First Testament, right? And they're the same methods that Jesus used with Israel. If you're faithful, blessings. If you're not, there's gonna be some consequences. Beast and sword and pestilence and famine. Ezekiel called them four severe judgments. And he actually used that voice in case you weren't aware. Uh, Jeremiah called them four kinds of judgments. I mean, he'd use the same voice. They, they recorded it. Uh, I have the audio file. I know we don't like this picture, but, uh, but we forget. We forget. Because we don't understand the covenant. Who set up the covenant? God did. I know you were tricked. You were like, I don't know, I don't know. God did. What is it? A contract. Who benefits from it? We do, and why do we get the benefits? Grace, right. So, we break this covenant because we don't want other people to experience grace and freedom. Hmm, I think someone needs to go stand in the, in the corner, right? 
You get the drift? God says, look, I'm going to give you this grace, I'm going to give you this blessing, and I want you to tell other people about it. And we're like, I really love it, and I don't want to tell anyone about it. And God's like, well, if you don't tell anyone about it, that's not fair. Come on, get with the program. It's not just for you, it's for other people as well. And we don't. So Jesus says, well, that's not right, my friends. You've got to step up your game. So he sends horseman number two. Da -da 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 -da. And he gets a little bit heavy, so then he says to them, I'm going to send seal number five, I'm going to slow it down, because you're not understanding this. So let me give you a snapshot of how it actually works. Israel had a covenant, and they're supposed to share this with everyone. But what they do is, they hoard it, they desecrate it, and they ignore it. So Jesus calls Babylon after a long, long, long time. Babylon comes along, takes them into captivity, and they're depressed. Then they open the Bible and they read Leviticus. They're like, oh, duh, we should have, yeah, got it. Jesus says, well, that's good. All right, let's take them back. Let's restore the covenant with them. The question we have to ask ourselves is this. Are we spiritual Israel today? Do we have the same covenant with Jesus today, which I believe? Are we before captivity or after captivity? So, back to the same question that I asked earlier today that has been lingering in some of your heads about the radical choice between Jesus or Satan. And I hate to admit this, but I don't think that the question is possible. And I know that every question is possible according to everybody, but I don't think it's possible. I don't think the choice is Jesus or Satan. While probation exists, Jesus is always an option. I don't think you can choose Satan. I think you can wander away from Jesus, but you could be nine billion, million, million miles running away from Jesus, but you can always return home. You could say, I only follow Satan, and Jesus says it's not far enough. I can bring you back. Jesus is always an option. I think the real question is this, and it's question number two in your worship guide. Are we growing closer to Jesus, or are we drifting further away? And that's the radical choice that we face. When we were created, when we became life, we existed because of Jesus. I mean, sin destroyed the potential of that life so that our genetics is all broken up. We don't even look what we're supposed to look like. Our personalities, our nature, our physicality, our mental abilities, every single aspect of us needs Jesus. Some of it will never get corrected until this planet is recreated and I, for one, I look forward to that more than any of you will ever realize. The radical call and the radical choice that we get to make every single day as followers of Jesus is if we want to draw closer to him or not. So I want you to listen to this, and this is what I want you to take away. If you forget everything I've said, for some of us, it is a millimeter 
And for some of us, it is miles. But if you move a millimeter, or whether you move miles, there are tears of joy in heaven. All right? God just wants you to know that no matter whatever direction you're moving, he's with you. Obviously, he's saying, come home to me. And he's going to be sending the Spirit through these seals all the time saying, come home to me. And this is what the seals are about. The seals are about us settling into the truth of recognizing that he is the only source to sustain us. It's listening to the Holy Spirit to bring us home. In January this year, I uh, had the privilege to work with a personal trainer, physical personal trainer. I'm 45 years old, and, uh, and I thought I knew everything, as all 45-year-olds do. Uh, and uh, this personal trainer taught me a lot of things that I wish they hadn't taught me. Um, but um, I'd get up at 5.15, and I'd head out there, and uh, I enjoyed it. By the time it was 7.30, I'd head back to the office here. And quite honestly, uh, what I missed was uh, arriving here back at the church and, uh, and realizing that I'd missed that time. I really actually enjoyed being here at 5.15 rather than at the gym. Not because the gym was just difficult, but because I actually really enjoy that quiet time. I need that time. That's like, I'm just that kind of person. I, I need that moment. Once around 8 o'clock and uh, everything starts rolling through in my mind and the day starts playing in, I've missed that moment. And for me, in my life, just I think differently, and, I'm, uh, and I miss that, right? So I wrestled with Jesus about this, and, and uh, I was glad when that personal training time was done. Um, and I've, I said, Jesus, yeah, I need to, because truthfully is that I don't want to work out in the middle of the day, and when it comes to late at night, I'm like, I do not want to work out late at night either. So there is no time to work out. Amen? Amen. It's not good. It's not good. I have to find a time, and, and unfortunately, Jesus keeps on telling me that too. Um, that's the one that, uh, thing that I, I don't talk to him often about. But I do enjoy that with him every morning, and I need that with him every morning, because there's so much to wrestle through, right? There's so many things to, to seek clarity on, so many things that I want to grow on. And I have the privilege, I have the privilege to to actually do this 24-7. I have the privilege to, to actually be able to shepherd a community uh, and to be able to do this. So I'm wrestling with Jesus, and I thought to myself, hey, uh, what uh, an honor to continue doing this. So it made me think of the very final question that I have in our worship guide, which is question number three. And, uh, and this is uh, going to be a question that I have for you. They made a radical choice before creation. They gave us the freedom to make a radical choice every day. And what is yours today? So they chose. That's the Father, Spirit, and Son. They chose life. They chose our freedom. They chose so that we have the choice. I am not a financial advisor. I am not a marriage counselor. I'm not a CrossFit trainer, I'm not a car mechanic, I'm not a mortgage broker, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a dentist, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a chef, I'm not a sex therapist, I'm not a florist, I'm not a gardener, I'm not a painter. But a long, long time ago, a man from a little village of Nazareth 
the co-creator of this universe, the Messiah, the Son of God, called Jesus Christ, laid a call on my life. He called me to be a pastor. And I have many roles as a pastor, but one of them is to be a trainer, uh, to be a spiritual trainer, to push you through places that you do not want to go, <laughs> to put you through and to give you exercises that hopefully will move you one millimeter and in some cases will move you miles. And I realized that uh, I failed in some places. So I want you to take out your Connect card. And uh, what I'm laying down as a challenge to you is that for any single person in this church, if you want to move a millimeter or a mile at whatever pace you need, um, I'm going to sit with you. I'll make an appointment with you this week for as soon as you need or as long as far away as you need. Let's get going. All right? Let's start. Let's start. Let's not make this a January 1 New Year's resolution. Let's start. Because you've got to grow. You've got to grow. If you grow in God, you will see that it's amazing things that you can do. You have got to grow, not just for yourself, but because you've got to be able to share this. It is a privilege to belong to the covenant. It is a privilege to be able to understand the beauty of the grace that God has given us. And if anything, the seals tell us that the Spirit is calling us and nudging us all the time to make this decision. So I'm encouraging you. Make that choice, take out the Connect card, fill it in, put your details in, stick it in one of these altars here, come and give it to me directly, um, and let's begin that journey. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I ask for your blessing, Lord, in our lives. I ask for the courage to respond to the Spirit calling in our lives. May we feel that nudge that you've been calling for so long. May we respond to it and may we be able to lean forward into it and may we move. May we become people of transformation, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' most beautiful and precious name.